for this morning, uh, we will be back into Romans 8, and I want to start off a little differently this morning. I want to start with a question, and so here's the question. What does it feel like to be in a safe place? Okay, here's your question. I want you to wrestle through with those um, that you're around. If you're by yourself, even better, but what does it feel like to be in a safe place? What does it look like? Um, what does it feel like? Okay, so I'm going to put that question out, and then we're going to give you about 30 seconds to think through that and um, to process that, and then we'll come back together. But here's your question again. What does it feel like to be in a safe place? What does it look like? What, is, what does the experience look like if you were to kind of paint it visually? What does it mean to be in a safe place? We'll give you 30 seconds to think about it. We'll come right back. Um, for me, answering that question, what does it mean to be in a safe place? Let me give you a couple things that came to mind for me. One, um, I don't have to impress. If I'm in a safe room, in a safe place, I don't have to impress those that I'm around. I can just be myself. Um, I'm present in that space without worry of what comes next. So if I'm in a safe place and I know that uh, people around me have my back, then I'm not always worried about what's to come. I can be present with those that are there. Um, another thing I thought of is I don't have to live out. I don't have to live out of my own head. I can listen to those that are around me because I know that there's a safety there. Um, I don't have to hide my true thoughts. It's another big one for me uh, if I'm in a safe place. I'm alert and I'm attentive to the now. Um, I don't want to leave uh, if I'm in a safe place. I, I, I tend to just want to be in that place for a while. Um, I can have fun and be spontaneous because I don't have to worry about what other people are thinking about me. Uh, and I'm a slower paced, um, which may sound odd knowing my personality, but I'm a slower pace uh, when I'm in a safe place because I know that um, we're all working together. We're all on, a, on the same team moving forward. And so I don't know what it looks like for you um, if you were to think through that scenario, but hopefully you can write some of those things down. What does it mean to be in a safe place for you? I want you to kind of think about that as we journey through the sermon this morning and even on the other side of this. So um, the other thing that came to mind when I thought about safe place was I thought back to when I was a kid. Um, I would always love riding my bike up the street to my friend's house and we had no agendas. We had no plans. Um, we'd race each other on BMX bikes. His dad built a half pipe and that was the day when half pipes were cool and you could you know play uh, with your BMX bikes and go up the half pipe and try and do tricks but mostly fall on our face and get hurt. Uh, we would uh, have some adventures out in the field, whether it's, you know, we, you know, ended up, whatever it was, burning ants, or whether it was racing on uh, go-karts, whatever it was, we just, it was just a, an awesome time when I was a kid. I remember that was probably one of the safest places because we could just be kids. I didn't overthink anything. I knew we were safe. And so we just had so much fun, like in that moment, knowing that we were protected and I could just be a child again. Um, I went back to that as kind of a safe place. And so this morning, I want us to be stronger by knowing who we are. And some of that's going to come into this idea of childhood and safety. I'll explain that in a little while. But um, for the sake of this morning, last week, we said that when we surrender control, uh, we are stronger. So when we ask for help, when we're more transparent, and this week, uh, we're going to take a step beyond that to help get us into that stronger place. So it is this week is kind of the why we can be transparent and why we can ask for help. So if you look at these two weeks back to back, last week was the what 
and this week is the why, and then next week we're going to talk about the how. And so this week is why are we able to surrender? Why are we able to find a safe place? Why, when I go up to a friend's house and we just play and, and it's just us as kids and we can be kids, why was that so easy? Uh, we're going to talk about that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 8, we are going to continue in verse 14 through 17 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, join me there. Uh, let me go and pray for us as we jump into God's Word together and uh, continue on this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to meet. We thank you for the opportunity to dive into your Word. God, I pray that we would be encouraged this morning, that we continue to understand why we can be stronger in you this morning, and then next week flush out a little bit more of the how. But ultimately this morning, I pray that we would see you as our safe place. We would see ourselves in the right light based out of Romans chapter 8 this morning. And God, that you would speak to us clearly this morning. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you do through it. In your name, amen. All right, so Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 14, is where we will we'll start. And here's, here's what he says in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Safety comes when you know who you are. Stronger means you are led by something far bigger than just your emotions or your day at work. Stronger comes when we can actually believe the truth in Scripture. And he just told us in Scripture that when we are led by the Spirit of God into these things of truth in Scripture, he says when we are led by God, we are sons of God. In other words, it's proof. And, and he says when we're led by God, we can then not be led by other things. So I said earlier, we, we, you know, we were mentioning the idea of being... Uh, this is too much talking again. What does it feel like to be in a safe place? We'll come out of that. Okay. Three, two, one. All right. We're still there. My camera's still on. Let me check. I hope I am. Am I still recording? That would be bad. I'm not. Yeah, I'm still there. Okay. So let me go back. Here we go. We're at eight minutes on the video. We're going to go three, two, one. Well, I don't know what you thought about. Uh, but for me, here's a couple things I wrote down of what it feels like to be in a safe place. I don't have to impress. I don't have to live out of my own head and I can truly listen to others because I'm not overthinking everything. I don't have to hide my true thoughts. Uh, I don't want to leave if it's truly a safe place. Um, I can be fun and spontaneous because nobody's judging me in that space. Nobody's making you know weird sideways glances or why did he say that? I can just have fun and be spontaneous. I can be who I, I am. Uh, I'm present without worry of what comes next if I'm in a safe place or a safe environment. Uh, I'm alert and attentive to the now. Uh, I'm not always overthinking and overanalyzing and jumping to the next scenario or the next conversation. I can just be in that place if I'm in a safe place. And lastly, uh, this may sound weird for those who know me a little bit, but I'm slower paced. Uh, I can slow down if it's a safe place and I can just be myself. Because the other thing I thought of when I, I thought of a safe place visually is I thought back to when I was eight years old, nine years old, and um, as a kid, uh, my friend, my best friend lived up the road and probably about a good mile and a half, two miles. And it was awesome because whenever I wanted to, I could get on my bike and I could ride up to his house and I knew we were gonna have just 
a lot of fun and it was going to be a safe place to do that. I didn't overthink anything. I mean, we'd ride our mongoose BMX bikes. Actually, he had a mongoose because he could afford the better bike. I had the cheap version of BMX, but whatever. That's I'm totally over it. <laughs> but but we would we would ride BMX bikes. Um, his dad had built a half pipe at that point, and it was just a lot of fun to try and learn to do tricks on the on the half pipe, which normally ended in one of us getting hurt in some way or another. Um, we could do whatever we wanted because we could just be kids. We knew it was safe and we could just have fun, spontaneous. And, and when I think safe place, I can kind of go back to those days when there was just a simplicity to life. There was just an easiness to it. And as a child, it just made more sense um, as a kid to not have to worry about all those things. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the idea of safety. We're going to be talking about the idea of being a child of God. And if we know who we are as children and go back to a child face of God, we can be safer. This morning, safety is going to be part of the idea of stronger. So last week we talked about surrender, right? We said that we're stronger when we surrender control, when we ask for help, when we're more transparent. And so this week we're going to talk about why we can be stronger in asking for help and being transparent. So to put it another way, if last week was the what, this week is the why, and then next week is going to be the how. And so this week we're really going to talk about why are we able to surrender. And so let's look at Romans chapter 8 this morning. We're going to be there for a while. Uh, verses 14 to 17 is where we're going to jump into. So beginning in verse, verse 14, he says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He says, if you are led by God, by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, if you are led by him, it is proof that you are a son of the living God. Safe means that you know who you are. Stronger means you are led by something far bigger than your emotions or whatever happened at work that day. You see, I think many of us, we, we were tossed around by every single thought that we have or not only thoughts that we have, or it's oftentimes we're tossed around in our minds and our Christianity about thoughts that people have about us. And so we can get all wrapped up in our own thinking, and then we can project those, those thoughts and those feelings and say, well, if I'm feeling that, that must be who God is. We do it all the time. We allow our feelings and even our circumstances to define who God is. We don't, need, we don't want proof from Scripture of who we are, if we're led by the Spirit, we're sons of God. We, we just want to use whatever scenario or circumstance we're in, and, and it, that'll tell us who we are. In other words, we say, my job loss is, is somehow God's disapproval of me. We can read into that. My feelings of insecurity mean that there must be some major sin in my life, and God's really, really disappointed in me. Um, God's quiet, and therefore I must be on his, his short list right? We can, we can just put our circumstances in front of us and say, well, that must be God. And we start to listen to ourselves and truth that we put on ourselves more than who God says he is. Augustine says it like this, and he says it really well. Great philosopher, uh, uh, Christian guy who lived way back in the day. Augustine says this, there can be only two types of love. A love of God unto the forgetfulness of self or a love of self under the forgetfulness and denial of God. Let me read that again. He says this, There can only be two types of love. A love of God under the forgetfulness of self, or a love of self under the forgetfulness and denial of God. You see, this morning, if we keep listening to ourselves long enough, 
we'll start to define ourselves by our own words and not by truth of Scripture that says, when you, all who are led by the Spirit of God are truly sons of God. This morning, God tells you, God tells me, that those who are led by the Spirit are God's sons and daughters. So in the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your fears, you are still being led by God. In the midst of your anger, in the midst of your frustration, in the midst of losing it, in the midst of a quarantine, you are still being led by God. In the midst of your addiction, in the midst of the thing you can't give up, and you can put whatever you want in that blank, even in the midst of your addiction, you are still being led by God. Yes, he has not left you. The reason you feel remorse for sin is because you are being led by the Spirit. Isn't that crazy? Like, even the remorse that you feel in the midst of that anger moment that you just blow up on somebody, or in the midst of those doubts and fears, even in the midst of sin, Spirit is working. I get more nervous about people who who have no um, fears of God or have, have no questions about God. They just kind of live their life and like, yep, everything makes sense. Christianity makes sense. Everything's fine. Everything's perfect. I get it. I understand it. It's great. It makes sense. I get more nervous for those kind of people than I do for people who have genuine doubts and concerns as they follow Jesus. Because there's a lot of things that just don't make sense. I get more concerned uh, for people who, who feel no remorse than those who come to me and say, I just feel like I, I, I should confess these things. Because as you're doing that, that is proof that the Spirit is living in you. The Spirit is truly the thing that causes us to to ask for forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? The reason you feel remorse for sin is because you are being led by the Spirit. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 in the New Living Translation says this, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Isn't that great? We often run from God because we feel so guilty. But as children of God, as sons of God, he says his kindness, his fatherly act of kindness towards us is intended to turn you from your sin. That's amazing. I love that passage. It gets even better. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Two sides here. Paul tells us that there are two things here happening, slavery and sonship. Either you are in one category or you are in the other positionally. Either you are a slave to sin positionally or you are a son of God, daughter of God. One of the two positional, that's where you are. There's two sides here. And that's positionally. I would say the same can be true practically. Either you operate, even as a Christian, right? You could say, uh, positionally, Joel, you said, positionally, I'm a Christian, so therefore I'm a son of God. Correct. Yes, you are. Daughter of God. Yes, yes, you are. But practically, we can still live out of both sides. We talked about that last week. So we're going into that a whole lot. But you can even operate either as a slave to sin or as a son adopted by Jesus, by God himself. Even for us who are children, we forget that we are adopted. And in these two columns, let me just explain each of those a little bit and, and kind of see for you personally, this would be a good time to kind of say, do I live more as a, as a slave or do I live more as a son when it comes to this category? So let me give you the categories. Paul says there's a slave side of it. There's a son side of it. There's a 
Pharisee, I think, would kind of fit into that same category as slavery, right? Those that proclaim to know God, but they don't know God. And it's all a mask. It's all a routine. So I can see there's a Pharisee side in the slavery column. And there's also the child category that would go into the sonship side. So slavery, Pharisee, sinner would be one column, right? And I'd say the other column would be sonship, child, and saint. And as you work through your salvation, as we go through this thing called sanctification, you are going to always battle those two sides. You're going to battle, do I act more like a slave? Do I act like more like a son? Do I act more like a Pharisee? Do I act more like a child? Do I act more like a sinner? Do I act more like a saint? And that's always going to be the bent. If you find yourself in the slavery, Pharisee, sinner side, you're going to be ruled by condemnation and fear. You're always going to base every decision off of those two things. God's angry at me and he just wants to have his way and I'm just got to make sure he's happy. As a slave and as a Pharisee and a sinner, you're going to put every relationship on a performance level only. As long as I perform, God loves me. As long as I perform, my wife loves me. As long as I perform, my kids will, will think I'm a, a good father, right? You can start to put that into every category and relationship. On the slavery side, it's built, every relationship is built on merit and worth, right? My worth is based on what I produce. Um, every relationship, every conversation on the slavery Pharisee side is removed and distant. Everything you do is reward, punishment, reward, punishment. If I view my relationship with God simply as a slave Pharisee sinner, then everything I do is just reward and punishment. If I see myself on the son side, the child side, the saint side, then my relationship changes dramatically. I see myself as accepted and there's a trust in that relationship. As a son, there's a relationship, there's a family. As a son, it's, it's built on trust and on love. It's close, it's intimate, it's, it's obedient because I love my father. It's, it's good coaching from my father who continues to teach me how to live out this Christian life. Those are the two columns that we can often find ourselves in. And the question maybe this morning, do you find yourself living in slavery or do you find yourself living in son? You may even say that slavery is another word for that column could be the imposter. You live as an imposter. Let me explain what that means. Imposter is one who relates to God without a proper view of child, son, and adoption. Imposter is the Pharisee. And in the words of uh, a great um, writer who I've, I've followed in his book actually changed a lot for me um, during my early days in college. I read this book and it's just really good to find this book again and find these quotes from it. But he says this about an imposter. The imposter is the Pharisee who in order to gain acceptance and approval camouflages feelings and suppresses feelings, making emotional honesty impossible. Brennan Manning in the same book, Abba's Child, says this, living out of that false self, I'll call it the imposter, the Pharisee, living out of that false self creates a compulsive desire to present a perfect image to the public so that everybody will admire us and nobody will know us. Sadly, I know too many Christians that live the imposter life. They don't know that they're sons. They don't know that they're daughters. They don't know that they're completely forgiven and free. So they live every single day 
out of the compulsive desire to present a perfect image to the public so that everybody will admire them. Look at how good they are. They're just a strong, such a strong Christian. They're at church every week. They're just so good at doing Christianity. They're, they're amazing Christians. Everybody will admire them, and yet nobody will know them because it's all a facade. There's nothing below the surface. It's all about the sinner Pharisee slavery side. One more image of slavery that may be important and, and this make it make sense to us this morning. Paul, in another, in another book of the Bible, the book of Philemon, says this about an actual slave owner and a slave that was under his care, right? So this is like the perfect example of when you talk about slavery and what it would look like versus sonship. This is a letter he wrote to the slave owner, and it says in Philemon 15, 20, he says this, for this perhaps is why he has parted from you for a while, talking about um, the slave that he had with him, Onesimus, um, that you might have, or I'm sorry, the Philemon and Onesimus, anyway, uh, that you might have him back forever. So verse 16, he says, as you accept this, this man back into your care, this slave that is now, hopefully, I desire to be free, he says, I hope that you have him back in verse 16, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. That's key. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even for your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul desperately wanted Philemon, who is the slave, giving back to Onesimus. He says he desperately wants Philemon to be his son and not his slave when he returns. He says, do me this grand favor. Do me this huge favor. When he returns to you, set him free so that he doesn't operate in slavery anymore, but he operates in a spirit of sonship. And he says, if you do this, Onesimus, if you do this for me, he says, it will refresh my heart in Christ. That's the visual that we see here. No longer under bondage, but truly free as a son. He says, not only does this slave, he says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, you've received the spirit of adoption. He says, the spirit of adoption then is what we um, can then base this next part on, that we can cry, because we are sons, we can cry, Abba, Father. That's awesome. That, that statement, Abba, Father, was used specifically of Jesus Christ himself. This phrase, Abba, Father, was blasphemous to the Pharisees. They would have gone nuts to hear Jesus refer to God as daddy. They would have been like, you can't do that. He's not even, we're not even allowed to pronounce his full name, let alone call him daddy. It would have been seen as a very disrespectful thing. No respectful rabbi would ever have called God the Father Abba. Jesus only did it. But here's the thing. Jesus only did it but he then encouraged his disciples and us today to do the same. He did it in his prayers. He did it in teaching his disciples how to pray. And it's interesting that when he uses the phrase Abba Father, when Jesus uses it here on earth, he uses it in conversational environments. 
He knew who his dad was. It was an intimate term. It was like I could just call him daddy and, and, and we were just close and buddies and I, we, just, we just had this connection because he's my dad. And it was so rare. But he says this term, Abba Father, can be for us today as Christians because we are sons of the living God. Isn't that incredible? He says, don't live in slavery anymore. You are a son. He says, you who are led by the Spirit is proof that you are a son. And then on top of all of those things, it gets even better in Romans 8, 16 to 17. He says this, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs uh, with Christ. That's awesome provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We're going to talk about the end of 17 next week. But for this week, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, we are heirs. He says, remind yourself of who you are. The reason you can be honest and transparent and be stronger through surrender is because you know the why. Why can I be stronger? Why can I do that? Because of my identity in Christ. I am a child of God. I am no longer on the outside looking in. I am fully loved by him. And I have proof in the fact that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, God and the Trinity himself says, you are my child, right? Hopefully we don't have to do that much with our kids to remind them constantly of who they are, but there's something encouraging to remind them, for God to remind us, hey, I know you've gone off the rails a little bit. Hey, I know you struggle with these things, but don't forget who you are. You are mine. You are loved by me. You are cared for. You are a son and daughter of the king. Act like it, right? Don't get caught up in all the fear and all the things. Act like who you are. The Spirit himself will bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then we are heirs. We are not only heirs, we are fellow heirs with Jesus. We are siblings. We are family members with Christ. We are heirs. And so we receive, among a thousand other things, this list out of Romans chapter 9. Because we are heirs, there's a ton of things we get. But just to give you a few out of Romans 9, which is the next chapter up, Romans chapter 9, verses 4 through 5, lists some things that we get because we are heirs with Christ. He says in verse 4 and 5, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. He says, because we are heirs, we get adoption, which we just talked about. We get the glory of God, which means the reputation, the renown. It, it, people should see Christ in us. We get the covenants of God given to Israel. We get some of those given to us as Christians as well. So we get promises in there. We get what the patriarchs lineage was. We get them. We get the giving of the law. We get worship. And most of all, we get Christ in the flesh. Those are just a few things that we receive because we are heirs with Jesus Christ. It's amazing fact that God has called you out of darkness into light and he has given you all of these things as a son and daughter of Jesus. So, all of that to say, as one commentator puts it, this passage 
and verses 14 to 17 to sum up even a lot of all of what I just said can be put into these simple words. I love this. It's a commentary he writes in this book called Teaching the Text, and especially specifically out of Romans. He says this, Sin abducts, God adopts. Sin makes slaves, God makes children. Sin provokes fear, the Spirit evokes trust. Sin foments rebellion and hostility. The Spirit leads believers to appeal to God in the most intimate and urgent cry, Abba, Father. You see, this morning, this text is hopefully addressing um, one of my fears um, for us at community. And, and here, here's the fear. This morning, my fear is that many of us, um, our view of God is skewed. We see him as a God who kind of dangles this carrot of approval and performance in front of us our entire life. It's like he's just hanging the thing out there and we can never fully reach the full acceptance, approval. We feel like we always have to perform in order to get it. And I feel like it's this carrot of approval and performance just dangling out in front of us our entire life, just out of reach. And if we stop trying to perform or stop seeking his approval, it will just outpace us and we will never catch it. Sadly, I think some of us have that image of God. The reality is, Nothing could be further from the truth. There is no carrot on a stick. There is only a banquet to which he has called us to have together with him. There is a dinner. There is a meal to be had with him. There is a family that he has adopted us into to sit and to eat with him. And when we do that, when we know who we are, when we sit with him, when we allow texts like Romans 8 to get deep inside of us and to really believe this text, it will lead us not only into deeper conversation with him, it will lead us into deeper transformation to be like him. It will lead us into deeper, stronger transformation for ourselves. It will be deeper transformation for our families. It will be deeper transformation for our church family as a whole here at Community. Deeper transformation only comes, well, I wouldn't say only comes. Deeper transformation can come through when we, I'm sorry, deeper transformation comes when we are secure, when we are safe. Knowing you are a child should bring a calm, a safety, a securing that will then allow you for a long-lasting transformation. A transformation for you personally, and a transformation for your families, a transformation for us as a church. Here's the thing I believe. If we are being transformed by Jesus, if we are truly being led by the Spirit of God as sons of God, if we are truly knowing that we are heirs, fellow heirs with Christ, when we know this, we will be transformed by Jesus. We will see it lived out in our families and our friends. And we will then not only be safe because we know who we are in Jesus, we will then be a safe place for other people in our families and in those here as a larger family at community. If that is true, that we will be transformed, we'll be safe, and then we can be safe places for others, let me give you some practical questions this morning to kind of diagnose, are you being that safe place for your family? In other words, has the Word of God impacted your life enough that you know who you are in Him, you are safe in him, and so therefore you are safe to others. Let me give you some questions just to 
think through. Number one, are you convinced or skeptical that you are who God says you are? Are you convinced or are you skeptical? Just be honest. Maybe talk about that with your family. Maybe talk about those uh, this week in a small group. Number two, as you live out these truths, can you see proof in your own family? Can you see proof that you trust God more than you trust your circumstances? Wives, since being married, are your husbands more empowered and more emboldened to lead or less? Husbands, since being married, are your wives stronger and more confident or less? Because if you're not safe and if you're not secure, you're not going to allow your spouse to be more confident, to be stronger, to be more empowered. You're going to shut them down because you're scared, because you feel like you have to be in control. And I would encourage you as couples to ask that question of families. Since being married, since you've known each other, husbands, wives, are your husbands more empowered and emboldened to lead or less? Husbands, since being married, are your wives stronger and more confident or are they less from having you in their life? I hope and I pray that it's the latter. Singles, are you more or less satisfied in Jesus? If you've been a Christian for two years, are you more satisfied now in two than you were in one? Are you more secure as a single in Christ? I hope that those questions can kind of resonate and think through. Are you stronger because of who you are in Jesus as a child of him? And lastly, as we close, let me give you an encouragement this morning. Again, um, great little read. Abba's child, Brendan Manning, he, yeah, he says this. And I think this is a great way to, to end uh, an encouragement to us this, this morning. The Christ within, who is our hope of glory, is not a matter of theological debate or philosophical speculation. He is not a hobby a part-time project, a good theme for a book, or a last resort when all human effort fails. He is our life, the most real fact about us. He is the power and the wisdom of God dwelling within us. I hope these verses encourage you to be stronger because you know who you are. When you are a child and son of God, he will not drop you. He will not leave you. He will lead you in kindness, even towards repentance. We only become stronger when we know and act upon our status as a family member and as a children, child of God. Next week, we're going to look at how. But for this week, can I just encourage you, you can be stronger because you are a child, daughter of, son of God. Let me pray for us.